What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app or YouTube, wherever it is that you are listening on your podcast. Today on the show, we get to talk with Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, about his 2022 recruiting class, landing the number one overall recruit in Travis Hunter, adding the number one recruit in Missouri in Kevin Coleman, and what his aspirations are for JSU in 2022. Let's take a listen. I'm here with Jackson State head coach Deion Sanders, Coach Prime to me. Coach, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, I want to talk with you about how the playmaker, Primetime, and Pepsi came together to do this outstanding trash talk content that I saw this sit down between the two of you at a desk in which y'all are actually going back and forth. I was really impressed with how the chemistry came off, but how do you feel about it? It is great content. Uh, it gives us the opportunity to allow everyone to understand how important recycling is and to have two gentlemen, you would think we trash talked, but we never talk junk to one another when we played. And I never talked, I never trash talked anyway. I, 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 it's a big misconception. Everyone thought I did, but I never talked junk to my opponent. Never, ever. And Mike and I had so much respect for one another, but I'm thanking Pepsi um, emphatically for, for bringing my guy back and just being on the set with one another brought back so many memories. And, you know, reading through the stuff, it was so organic. It was so real. It was so genuine that it was unbelievable because we would do that. Like we would do that in practice or whatever, but never in, in games or whatever. We had too much respect for one another. It shows honestly that y'all have that chemistry. And I, I was kind of miffed at first when you said you don't trash talk, but that's in games. Obviously when you go on at a person that you play against in practice, I mean, for you, for me, for, for me, can you describe what that was like at practice with a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer going at each other, working on each other, and was, getting to be the kind of players that you became? It was tremendous because it wasn't just a Hall of Famer going against a Hall of Famer. It was a Hall of Famer going against a Hall of Famer, and the quarterback's a Hall of Famer. And the left tackle's a Hall of Famer, you know, soon to be, and the left guard, and so forth. It, it was unbelievable, the competitive nature of it all, and it just didn't start on the practice field in, in the NFL, you know, it started way back in high school. You hear, we're from Florida, man. We Florida boys. So you hear about the Mike Irvin, you hear about the playmaker. Then you go to Miami, Florida state is another rivalry and it just continues. Now I'm in Atlanta, the Cowboys. Now I'm in San Francisco versus the Cowboys. So it, it, it continued, it continued, but we have at the root of it. It's a tremendous friendship. It's a tremendous relationship. That's why we enjoyed um, so much into educating um, the public about the, the trueness of uh, recycling, man. It was phenomenal. So y'all got to stare down at the end. <laughs> See, the, how long did it take you to get that one right before somebody broke up laughing? Uh, yeah, probably about five takes because I'm, I'm probably the, I'm the one that's going to start laughing because I can't be serious, you know? No, uh, I, I can't it, be serious. No, what? You, you're smiling underneath it. Both of you are, right? It, it almost feels like you, you're trying to hold it together for this yeah, bit. Mike really acted. Mike really acted. Uh, I, I had a bit rolls, but Mike really acted in the longest yard. 
you know, the 14th, the longest yard, number 14. I don't know what number was the longest yard, the remix, but he really acted. So I would give him the acting chops over me. But we had a great time creating the content, man. It is for a great cause. Well, Coach, as you know, I'm a college football guy, and I follow recruiting very closely. And you still have one of my favorite recruiting announcements here of late in that you landed the number one player in the country, Travis Hunter. You followed up with number one player in the state of Missouri and Kevin Coleman. But the thing that I thought was most interesting about that is both of those cats were smart about it. They had a flair about it. They pulled the J out late, and you got the J on your hat now. What does it mean for you in this program to see that J becoming synonymous with what you're building? Well, I'm I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity that these young men have and those guys that they dared to be different. They dared to provoke change. And, uh, you know, Pepsi is also one of the sponsors of the SWAC, uh, HBCU. So I'm happy about that. But those two individuals, they weren't with the fads and the trends, man. They was like, we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to go provoke change and, and we're going to do some amazing things. And it didn't take a lot of co- coercing or convincing. It wasn't like that. They wanted to do this and, you know, Kevin didn't come, but uh, Travis, he came to the homecoming and uh, you, you can't, you can't let a kid come to HBC homecoming. If you, you want to, if you're another school and you want to keep him, if he comes to our homecoming, it's a wrap. It's over. It's done deal. And it, it felt really good from the outside looking in, right? I understand how sometimes these things get blown out of proportion, but for, for me, right? I'm watching the first time that a five-star has committed to an FCS school, right. let alone an HBCU. We're beginning to see these kinds of players that used to play in the SWAC, used to play at HBCU schools, not just look at them, but in this cycle, pick you. Now, I got... I got a question about on the field, though. There you go. Are you going to let Travis Hunter go both ways? And are you no. going to let Shadour just, you know, chunk it up over there? I don't let anybody do anything. Everybody got to earn everything. So Travis uh, has to, first of all, be valuable on one side or the other, really have true value. So if that values on defense, okay, we'll – spot play you offensively if that value is on offense will spot play you maybe on a dime package nickel packages on defense we got to determine what travis is and that starts right now travis has been on camp thank god these kids are smart man they're intelligent they're starting to get their academics so they graduate early so he's been on campus ever since he was uh finished with those postseason all-star games um and i'm elated about that his work ethic is emphatic he's He's a dog, man. He wants it. He's not, he didn't come in resting on his, his high school accolades. He came in wanting to go to the next level, wanting to watch extra film, wanting to learn the little nuances about the game. What can I teach him? What can I tell him? What can I show him? That's how how Travis gets down. Uh, And uh, pretty much all of the new class, the new class have such a, such a bar that's there. So all the new guys that we brought in from the portal and, and from just signing these these youngsters and some grad transfers as well, man, they want it because the bar is set. They understand how we get down and what we must do to uh, remain on top. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the 11-2 and two season is not just that you had the wins, but the way that they were coming together. 
Mm-hmm. Saw you put an emphasis on recruiting toward the offensive line, try to get better yeah. there. Yeah. How did that end up for you? Do you feel good about the guys you brought in and how you're going to yeah. rebuild that front uh, yeah. front five? And seven or eight, man. I think we signed seven or eight of them. Uh, if we didn't reach our goal of eight, I, I think we may have a one more. Because you got to save some room for after spring. So after the spring, everybody was promised what they were promised, and other schools are not happy about it, so they decided to jump. And we're going we're gonna to be sitting right there with a the catcher's mitt, ready, ready for the pool. Portal is the best thing that ever happened to some people. The portal is the worst thing ever happened to some people. We uh, we're like 40, 40, 20, 40% grad transfers, 40% portal, 20% high school. So the high school kids are the one that's suffering. that's not getting the most looks and attention because a lot of college coaches don't have two years to develop. They got to, you got to win. You got to win right now, but we addressed every need that we had. And I feel like we upgraded it. So we're, we're elated about going into the spring and you got to understand this is our first time we're getting an opportunity to develop our players. The last spring we were playing games, we we're competing with a bunch of kids we didn't know. So now this is the first offseason. We got a chance to have an offseason weight program, strength and conditioning, and we get an opportunity to develop these kids and put them in certain situations that we want to see that they can, can they handle it. I'm very interested in your take on the portal coach uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is you do a great job of recruiting out of it, but you also lost Dalen Baldwin to it, who ends up playing in Michigan. They make the college football playoff win the Big Ten. We didn't lose Dalen Baldwin. We don't lose nothing we want. Pardon me. Okay. He, deci- <laughs> he decided. He decided. Yes. That, that was what he was going to do. My, that's my bad. My fault. You know, I'm, I'm going to get naked with you and tell you what it, what it, what it really was. Sorry for my speech. Um, Dalen told us after the spring that he wanted to turn pro after the fall season. We said, cool. So business-wise, we cut his full scholarship to a half because he didn't need a full because he wasn't going to be there after December. He didn't understand the logic of that and got sensitive. So, okay, I'm going to leave. We said, cool. Because we knew what we had coming. (laughs) We, We knew what we had coming in, and some things may not fit. You got to understand you never heard of Daywin Baldwin until the spring. No one ever heard of him until the spring. So we helped develop him in that aspect. And we're happy and elated that instead of us going to a power five, trying to pour, you know, pour from them, they came to us. That shows the magnitude of your program. So that was a blessing as well. But we were okay. I think we, we were okay. <laughs> well, no, and... I don't mean to suggest otherwise. Uh, I bring it oh, up. I know you did. I'm just, that's what really happened. He didn't understand the logic and to understand. You don't need a full scholarship when you're not going to be here but three months, man. Come on. <laughs> well, it, it feels like either way you're going to be all right and you're adjusting to the landscape yeah. as it is as opposed to perhaps just, just wanting it to change. You're going to work with it. And I, I wonder – where does that come from with you? Where does that come from with your staff? I mean, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. You, you called up Gentry Williams at Booker T. Washington, and his mama was really thinking about it. She says so. I'm asking, how do you stay this nimble in this landscape where everything is changing, where it's not just name, image, and likeness? Your son Shadur signs with Gatorade. I mean, you seem to be coming out on top here no matter what we put in front of you. Well, um, I'm a forward thinker. I have a wonderful staff that uh, elevates everything like right now is so many professionals former pros that want to 
coach now, which is a wonderful thing because that helps our kids, Power Five, HBCU, whatever. So even our camp this weekend, we had a one-day camp last year and that we had to turn away 200 kids, which I hate to turn away a child, period. So now instead of having one day, we already thinking, okay, three days, because now not only I want to bring those guys in and really teach them and bring some um, former pro head coaches as well as some collegiate coaches to really give them the do's and don'ts and how to get into the coaching realm, these aspiring pro athletes, then the next day to regular camp, then the next day to seven on seven um, camp that that we're going to have on Jackson. So now from a one day, we go to a three day commitment to really try to develop these young men. And it's a beautiful thing. So we're always progressing. Everything is progressive. Um, we got two practice fields now instead of one. So now I figure out a way where practice never stops. So it, it just does not have to stop for one bit. So when we're out there for an hour and a half, we're out there for an hour and a half. We're working, working, working. And the, the water breaks are within the confines of practice. So it's always thinking how to improve things because I've been on all sides. I've been the kid that played. I've been the parent that somebody came to recruit the kid, you know, and now I'm the coach. So I've been on all three sides of this thing. And I look at it from all three windows, which is gives us a competitive advantage tremendously. Coach, I would be remiss if I did not mention that you are in high demand, period. But specifically when these job openings became available in December, I wonder how much you think about perhaps your future beyond Jackson State at all. But more specifically, are you happy? Are you having a good time? And how do you keep having a good time doing what you're doing? Oh, well, I don't I don't equate happiness because happiness goes from the state of mind of being unhappy. I'm at peace at all times, man. I love I love what I do and I do what I love. Um, I'm not trying to be a desired man for for just colleges, man. I'm thankful that I'm desired for Pepsi. I'm the, the desired for this wonderful uh, recycling program that we're educating people all over the country. Um, other companies that that I'm able to introduce my, my kids to, and they're taking full advantage of it, not just my kids blood-wise, but the kids in Jackson State. So uh, I'm loving every minute of it, every moment of it. I'm not looking down the street to depart. I'm looking down the street to develop. So it's so many different things that that we have on tap. We're, we're improving every aspect. We've got a new practice field. Um, thanks God, thank God to Walmart. We, we have uh, new locker rooms. Thank God to some of our other sponsors as well, including Pepsi. Uh, it's so many new uniforms. Thank God to Under Armour every year. I mean, we already have four or five helmets and, and several uniforms. And we add on to that because these kids like to stay fresh. They expect that from Coach Prime, you know. So it, it's so many things with HBCUs now a way to show us in a positive light and to make sure we always on the national television in some form of fashion. That's what we're working on right now. And that's a beautiful thing that these kids are going to warrant the exposure that they deserve. Like, like campaigns like this helps us tremendously. I mean, so it's not just me and Mike Irvin doing a, a recycling campaign for Pepsi, man. It's coach prime from Jackson state that you have no idea how that, affects and infects us tremendously. I love it. It's a wonderful platform. Coach Prime, I appreciate your time. Uh, I also need to tell you, I'm grateful for the red accents in the in the uniforms. I think it's real nice. I understand that I got family in Jackson that ain't always down, but I'm down. And I look at them and say, hey, look, I would want to wear that. Matter of fact, 
I got Shiloh's jersey coming up over here because, man, them red axes do something for me. I'm glad to keep doing it. Please keep doing it is what I'm saying. All right, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. Look at you about the red. I received so much bull junk from the red from, from the first spring. Don't you know I didn't get one call, one question about nothing last season? Not not one iota about nothing. So winning is a wonderful curate. Winning, 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 uh, trust me, it does tremendous wonders. Now, I didn't get nothing about gray. I introduced gray uniforms. I mean, it, trust me, I, I can have a fatigue uniform. As long as you win it, they straight. <laughs> I like it. Coach Prime, thank you uh, for doing this with us, and I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to what you do in 2022. Man, I appreciate you, and thank you. Thank you for allowing us to expand on this campaign. I appreciate you, man. God bless you. I'm going to see you soon, I promise you. All right, Coach. All right, so a lot to unpack in that really entertaining and fun interview with Coach Prime. I'm grateful to him and Pepsi for giving us some time to talk with him about all the goings-on at Jackson State University and there are a ton of them, but I do want to spend a little time talking about Dalen Baldwin, who Coach had some things to say, and as he said, got naked with us about what it was and how it went down. So to reiterate, for those of y'all that just need, well, the background, Dalen Baldwin transfers in from Jackson State from Moorhead State and proceeds to show out during the spring semester at Jackson State. As a matter of fact, he led them in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns, and was tied for second most catches on the team with 27, 540 yards receiving, had seven touchdowns of their 16 receiving touchdowns. So he was responsible for about 44% of their TDs and about 36% of their receiving yards. Outstanding, right? 90 yards a game, 20 yards per catch. Tells Coach Sanders that he expects to go into the NFL draft this semester. That would be this spring, the upcoming draft. So Coach Sanders and the staff made some business decisions to which they said, hey, look, if he's not going to be here in the spring, we're going to give him a half scholarship so that we can put that other half towards something else, okay? Now, according to Coach Sanders, he didn't like hearing that. Dalen didn't like hearing that. So he decided to go into the transfer portal, and Josh Gaddis and Michigan went to get him out, okay? So Dalen Baldwin goes to University of Michigan as a senior, has 17 catches, 256 yards receiving, and two TDs on a team that primarily ran the football, but also got its first win against Ohio State in more than a decade, won the Big Ten Championship, and received its first invitation ever to the college football playoff. Now, Dalen Baldwin is in draft prep. Matter of fact, he told the spun that he was talking with Coach Gaddis just the other day, explaining to him that, hey, I'm grateful for what you have taught me because when I'm looking at what they do in the NFL and what they expect out of a wide receiver in the NFL, I feel set up to go and make a living as a professional football player. For Coach Sanders' side, like this is really interesting and I think fun in that he put together a winning team in a hurry, pillaging the transfer portal. Kids went in, he took them out. And being very selective about the high school football players that he recruits. As a matter of fact, he believes that high school football players are losing because the transfer portal has made experience, right, and development the thing you want as opposed to going to get something out of high school that you have to mold yourself that might not be, you know, the number one player in the country like Travis Hunter. I thought it was interesting because we don't get to talk about an FCS player 
becoming an impact player on a Power 5 team very often. And we certainly don't get to talk about an HBCU transfer to a Power 5 team becoming an impact player for them. I also think this is interesting because we're coming into a watershed moment for HBCU football once again. So, you'll know, James Houston played outside linebacker at Florida in 2020. He also famously said that Oklahoma is not SEC, then got beat down in the Cotton Bowl by Oklahoma, who ended up becoming SEC, right? So James Houston goes into the portal and comes out of Jackson State and proceeds to absolutely wreck shop in the swag. James Houston didn't play all that much at Florida and I think was criminally underused at Florida, okay? His last year there, he had one sack. At JSU, playing basically outside linebacker, this dude had 16 and a half sacks, seven forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, a ton of tackles for losses, and an interception. He's a tweener if you're evaluating him for the NFL draft, but I believe he's going to get drafted. If he does, he will be the first HBCU player drafted since 2020, and he would be the first Jackson State player drafted since 2008. He also has an opportunity to go in the first half of the draft, which would be another tremendous coup for FCS, HBCU, and particularly for Jackson State, right? I also think this is interesting because you're going to hear people talk about this in a way that is assigning development, okay? Did Dalen Baldwin get developed at Jackson State, or did he get developed at Michigan? I think there are a bunch of people that want to give Dalen Baldwin to Jackson State. I think there are a bunch of people that want to give him to Michigan. I tell you, it's not where you start. It's where you finish for me, right? Jalen Hurts, for example, got drafted as an Oklahoma quarterback, not as an Alabama quarterback, even though we have people that want to assign him to Alabama. I say that to say, I prefer to take my P's and Q's from where they finished. So James Houston has an opportunity to make history for Jackson State. And Jackson State has an opportunity to continue to build on that history. Remember, this is the first 11-win team in school history en route to a SWAG championship, okay? Their only loss outside of the Celebration Bowl to South Carolina State was to an FBS program in ULM. They lost that game 12-7. to But their 2022 schedule comes out the day that I talked to Coach Sanders. Curiously. There is not an FBS school on the schedule. They also pulled out of the Southern Heritage Classic to the chagrin of many, myself included, because that's an annual with Tennessee State. It's out of conference. I'm sad to see it go. I understand Jackson State has its reasons. But now the de facto big game on their calendar is the Orange Blossom Classic, which competes with, uh, or I shouldn't say competes. They will play. Jackson State will play. FAMU, Florida A&M. Florida A&M claimed co-champion Black College Football National Championship last year because they had beat South Carolina State and South Carolina State beat Jackson State, even though Jackson State beat FAMU last year. Point is, it's also a SWAT game too now, so you've got fireworks for that game. I expect that to be the big game on the HBCU calendar, but you also have a Jackson State that has put together a schedule in which they ought to be favored in every game they play which means they have an opportunity to run the table and be undefeated. And then we'll be right back where we were last year, wondering whether or not Deion Sanders' last year at Jackson State 
will be this year at Jackson State because it has been coming along that quickly, and he has been that sort of a change agent. It also puts yet another spotlight on the stars of this sport. It ain't the players so much as it's the coaches. We think about Nick Saban. We think about Dabo Sweeney. We think about Deion Sanders. We care about Jackson State because Deion Sanders is there and because he's been recruiting his tail off, and now he's going to develop more players to follow James Houston, notably his sons, Shiloh Sanders, safety, and Shadur Sanders, who, along with being the only football player in college sponsored by Gatorade, was the Jerry Rice Award winner, FCS Freshman of the Year. He's also going to have Travis Hunter, Kelvin Coleman. You understand what I'm saying here, right? The question will quickly become, is Jackson State, if they go undefeated, the best team in college football at the FCS level? Some folks would say no. Some folks would say yes. I think that we're even imagining that. Is such a big deal and cannot be overstated. But you mentioned, or you heard me mention, Dalen Baldwin and what he was able to help Michigan accomplish. It is an open question now as to whether or not Michigan can follow up their sun-kissed season with a similar one. Okay, so let's take it back when we talk about Michigan. Following the college football playoff in which Michigan got handed its head by eventual national champion Georgia. Jim Harbaugh did not hide that he wanted to return to the NFL. He wanted and did interview for a couple of jobs. Notably, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Minnesota Vikings. He took not one, but two interviews with the Minnesota Vikings, including a second interview on National Signing Day. Michigan fans were making jokes about having half a coach, okay? This is after Mike McDonald, who he basically took on a rental from Baltimore, became his defensive coordinator and helped him get the win against Ohio State, get that Big Ten championship, made the college football playoff. He returned to Baltimore to be their defensive coordinator. Okay. Then, last weekend, the Broyles Award winner, which goes to the top assistant coach in college football, Josh Gaddis, an offensive coordinator at Michigan, decided that he was going to take the job at Miami. Some would say it's a lateral move. Some would even say it's a step down. But I thought that was interesting because we're talking about basically two coordinators choosing not to work for Jim Harbaugh. We'll stick with this Mike McDonald bit for just a second here. Get back to Josh Gaddis in a second. Today, as we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, Michigan hired Vanderbilt defensive coordinator Jesse Minter as their defense coordinator. Okay, He's the son of Rick Minter, who had been a coach at Cincinnati, but also a former assistant coach with the Ravens. Jim Harbaugh's had a lot of well success here of late going up to his brother John and saying, hey, can I have a guy? Or do you have a guy, right? So after being the guy for Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, he's going to become the guy at Michigan. He's been a D.C. before, Indiana State, Georgia State in particular. Okay. Now, in as far as Josh Gaddis and what they're going to do at offensive coordinator, probably going to promote the quarterback's coach, we will see, right? But I find this to be interesting because Gaddis, in agreeing to become – 
the new coordinator at Miami, sent a text to his players obtained by ESPN's Tom Van Heeren that said, quote, unfortunately, the past few weeks has told a different story to me about the very little appreciation I have here from administration. In life, I would never advise anyone to be where they are not wanted. This seems like a reoccurring feeling for Gaddis since he took the job at Michigan after being the co-coordinator at Alabama, I think as, as, as late as 2018. But I also thought that was interesting because Mike Loxley was also on that staff. He's the head coach at Maryland, and they had a, a really cool rivalry going on inside of the Big Ten East. And quite frankly, I thought that Gaddis was losing that rivalry in as far as development and in as far as the bar from Maryland, the bar from Michigan. Okay, Then this year, obviously, Gaddis blew that all out of the water. But I don't think that he takes a job at Miami, which is in a rebuilding phase, if he felt appreciated, right? And appreciation shows in many forms how your colleagues treat you, how your bosses treat you, and how much money you get paid, right? It really comes down to that. But I think this is interesting on the field for us as fans because you'll remember toward the end of the season, really toward the middle of the season, Michigan ran two quarterbacks. Most snaps saw Cade McNamara. Other snaps saw J.J. McCarthy. And whenever we saw J.J. McCarthy, we saw a live wire at quarterback. We saw a dude that made you respect his ability to run and could throw a football 50 yards downfield. His blue chip recruiting background showed up, okay? It is an open question to me as to whether or not J.J. McCarthy will begin next season as a Michigan Wolverine. I say this because Josh Gaddis was also very loud about saying both of these quarterbacks need to play. When quarterbacks coach and Harbaugh were very much saying Cade McNamara needs to be the guy and needs to be led to believe that he's going to be the guy. We don't want to mess with our quarterback's confidence. I also know that a big reason as to why J.J. McCarthy is at Michigan is Josh Gaddis. And if you know that the offense might change or the coordinator might change, perhaps you want to take a look around. Now, this is a kid that grew up in Big Ten country. He's from Illinois. And then because his school would not let him graduate early, he took himself to IMG Academy and essentially ran an offense that was full of studs. He's used to this. And he's also used to Florida. So I would not be surprised to find out by the end of the spring we might hear some things about J.J. McCarthy. Not saying it's going to happen. Not reporting anything, but it is a thing to keep your eye on if you are a Michigan fan. Last thing that I wanted to say about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan before we talk about Auburn and Brian Harson is that Jim Harbaugh has always done this to the sound of his own drum, man. Like that dude is going to do what he's going to do forever and ever. Amen. And there's something to like about that. I like knowing who you are and not pretending that you're someone else, even or not even even, especially when you win. Because the dude that went 2-4 in 2020 is the same dude that won the Big Ten Championship in 2021. And I wouldn't forget that my boss, right, Ward Manuel in this case, renegotiated my contract so that I only got paid if we won. And then you're not going to feel some kind of way if that dude decides to go looking for another job. And... To Michigan's credit, the administration, they're very happy to have Jim Harbaugh back. There are no hard feelings. They're going to let that man do what he needs to do. 
But if you are working for him or you're playing for him, you have to wonder whether or not he's going to be around for the length that you plan to be around because that's what it's about, right? As much as we want to talk about institutions, programs, that ain't why we take jobs. That ain't why we sign up. We sign up for the people that we're working with and the people that we're working for. If those things should change, we might need to change because the person coming in might not think that you or I are the best person for that job. So I don't blame them. This is why I think it's interesting to take a look at Auburn and Brian Harson. Okay, man. This one got heated up quick, fast, in a hurry late last week. Okay? So all of a sudden it felt like the Thursday after National Signing Day, we started to hear rumors about Brian Harson being on the hot seat in a very real way where Auburn might be looking to make a change at head coach in February, which is really difficult to understand until we take stock of what has occurred. Okay, so Brian Harson was 69-19 and 19 over seven seasons at Boise State before taking the job at Auburn last December. That'd be December 2020. The Tigers look like a great football team to start the season. They began 6-2 and two and then went on a five-game losing streak. And each one got uglier. Matter of fact, in their bowl game, they lose to Houston. Houston gets to 12 wins the first time in their history. Dana Hogerson is yelling at Brian Harson to get off the days so the winners can speak. That's a, that's a tough scene, man. That, 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 that's a tough scene if you're an Auburn fan. You got to get heckled by the head coach at Houston. Like, I got all sorts of jokes for Auburn. But you just got heckled by Houston. For good reason, by the way. Right? That's tough. So he goes on vacation after National Signing Day, when all of this starts to heat up. But the thing to also keep into context in National Signing Day is Auburn didn't sign anybody on National Signing Day. Now, they finish with the number 18 class in all of the sport. They finish number 8 in the SEC, though, and there are 14 teams in the SEC. The folks at Auburn are not comparing themselves to the rest of college football. That 18 doesn't mean much to them. That 8, that 8, they're, they're very upset about that 8 because they understand we cannot compete in the SEC West that features our nemesis and in-state rival, Alabama, an LSU team that won the national championship just two years ago, an Ole Miss team that is coming off the best season they've ever had in their history, an AM team that blew the doors off of recruiting in 2022 and feels like a contender for the national championship. And then there's you and Mississippi State. No, no. The folks at Auburn also feel some kind of way about being Auburn fans. We'll get to that here in a second. But let's talk about just some of the changes that have been made on his staff, right? Because the First things that really got under people's skin is he loses his offense coordinator, right? Fine, cool. He hires Austin Davis, who had played at Southern Miss and was recently a quarterback's coach at Seattle Seahawks. And then, not a month into his job, Austin Davis decided that he was going to leave the program. He said it's for personal reasons. I fine. The one that really got to people, though, is Derek Mason defense coordinator at Auburn, choosing 
to not only leave Auburn for Oklahoma State's opening, but to take a $400,000 pay cut to do it. Derek Mason has got tremendous respect inside of the SEC. He is a valued coach according to them. So when that dude decided to leave, everybody else looked around and said, what don't we know? Okay? He took nearly a half million dollar pay cut to go to Stillwater? Something ain't right in Auburn, Alabama. Now, that's not meant to be shade to Stillwater, but you know who you are, and you know what's up there. I, I went to school up there. I know what's up there. I handed out L's to y'all up there, and y'all took them out of my hands. You understand who you are. I want to hear no noise about this. Okay? You had a great season in 2021, but I want to hear no noise about this and treat Derek Mason right. He's a good football coach. Now, we're also talking about a fifth coordinator search in 14 months since taking the Auburn job. Now, Harson elevated Jeff Schmetting to be his defensive coordinator at Auburn. Okay? Dude, worked with him at Boise State, and I'm sure he's a great coach and going to be a good play caller. But he's not inspiring the Auburn booster, who I will talk about here in just a second. Then we're talking about the original sin of recruiting after going six and seven, right, in your year one, which is to say we put so much emphasis on the transfer portal that we don't think of National Signing Day as a day to sign, you know, the high school recruiting seniors or rising seniors or not even rising seniors, excuse me, the graduating seniors. But you can't not sign a single player at National Signing Day. I know that because Brian Harson did that and they want to fire him. Let me try to put this in better perspective here. It's not just that they did not sign a single player on National Signing Day. It's that they lost a player to the portal also on National Signing Day to drive that tally up to 20 players in the portal. Now, you can put 20 players in the portal, but you better get 20 quality players back. And Auburn didn't do that. You lose Bo Nix to all or to not to Auburn, to Oregon, and you add Zach Calzada, who's the backup at AM, who beat Alabama, right? Beat Alabama, but but so did Bo Nix, right? Nobody's inspired by Zach Calzada challenging TJ Finley to be the starting quarterback at Auburn. Whatever we think about Bo Nix, Auburn folks loved him. And that counts for a ton when people are trying to get you fired. Especially when you're just 14 months into your job. All right. Other part about this is that players that are still on the team had choice words about Harson. So Smoke Monday replied to an Instagram story last Friday claiming that Harson quote, doesn't understand kids that come from nothing. That ought to spook you if you are an Auburn fan. Because Smoke is being very diplomatic and politically correct while also saying, hey, look, I like Harson. He coaches his behind off, but he can't relate to us. And it's not just a Harson issue on this, right? I hear this from kids all the time. They just really wish somebody would get down in the mud with them and understand how they're living. For instance, you got to call parents, not just players. You got to understand mama. 
You got to understand pops. This is what Nick Saban does better than anybody else on earth. Your mom and dad will recruit you to Alabama because Nick Saban recruited them to Alabama. Okay? For those of y'all that are raising blue chip recruits, remember, you care about how your kid feels about an institution. You care more about how you feel about an institution. There ain't a mama in the world that ain't going to point to Stanford and say, yeah, you should go play football there to offer you a scholarship because they understand what Stanford is. But David Shaw go out of his way to go get them? Good luck. Good, good luck. You know, I'm, I'm talking to blue chip recruits right now. Hey, RJ, I got an offer from Auburn on the floor, and I got an offer to Princeton. My mama want me to go to Princeton. Yeah, she does. Because Princeton is setting you up for life. And if you cannot communicate how you are setting that kid up for life, parents don't want to hear from coaches. And if you can't communicate to the kid in a way that they understand, that's on you. It is not incumbent upon a kid to understand you. It is incumbent upon you to understand a kid. Whatever you got to do to get on their level, you got to do it. And when you got a blue chip and a leader on your team like Smoke Monday coming out to smoke you out, pun intended, that's going to spook people as well. Now, we haven't seen much movement on the Harson issue for a couple of reasons. One is the man is on vacation. He's even had to combat this while on vacation. Okay. The other is money owed. Okay? This I find fascinating. $18.3 million is owed to Brian Harson for five years remaining on his contract. He would be owed $9 million, yeah, plus dollars, so $9.15 million within the next month if he is fired. And the rest would be paid out according to the payments started on July 15th over the following year according to his contract. So, if Auburn chose to fire Brian Harson, they would be paying him and Gus Malzahn $40 million. That's two men. That's not coaching staffs. That's two coaches, $40 million to not coach. And usually, a team that wants to pick up that coach off the heap can structure the contract in a way so that the other institution is still paying their salary, right? So think about Central Florida and Gus Malzahn. They got a deal. And Gus Malzahn is a great coach, and he's been a great coach. And if you're Auburn boosters, you're also looking for the dude that's going to not just have you winning, but have you beating up on Nick Saban. So essentially, you're looking for Kirby Smart. And that's who you think you should be. You think you should be Georgia. Auburn in the history of Auburn has never been Georgia. Like, even when Cam Newton put all of them dudes on his back and took everybody to the 2010 National Championship, it was still Auburn. Like Gene Chizik got fired two years later after going 0 and 8 in the SEC because you can't, you can't do that. That's not going to work. You know? Gus Malzahn's able to beat Nick Saban. They still fired him. You want to be the man. And you're looking for the man that can beat the man. And it turns out to you finding out Brian Harson might not be the man. And you want to actually get out of this contract because you got buyer's remorse. It's just, ugh. It's such a tough deal right now for them because it didn't have to be this way. Ain't nothing wrong with Gus Malzahn. 
Ain't nothing wrong with Brian Harson, quite honestly. Give the man some time. He's probably going to flip it around. I mean, look at what he did at Boise State. But you have reason to be concerned, certainly. But more than anything, this comes back to Auburn really needs to settle on it's okay to be Auburn. It's okay. You know, this is something we talk about in college football all the time. Do you know who you are? Do you know what a good season is for you? Right? Historically. This is why people choose to go to Alabama. They want to win. Right? If, I, mean, I mean students. You choose to go to Alabama for school because you want to be a part of winning. Okay? You don't choose to go to a private liberal arts university like myself because you want to be a part of a national championship program. I don't expect Tulsa to win no national championship. Okay? I expect them to get their flowers. They go undefeated. But I expect them to win no national championship. It's asinine. But Auburn managed to do that that one time with the greatest player who has ever played college football. And he has that title in part because he put Auburn on his back. Like, I still can't get over this. Outside of Nick Fairley, y'all can't name nobody else on that Auburn team. Nobody. You looked at Gene Chizik and said, the dude from Iowa State won a national championship? Yes. You looked at Gus Malzahn and said, wasn't that dude an offensive coordinator at Tulsa? Yes. Because it's just, it, it ain't supposed to happen. And that it happened for you, unhappy. But you can't expect that to be what you are. Anyway, I say all that to say, Brian Harson survives this. Let that man do what he needs to do. Let him coach out his contract. And if it still ain't working, by all means, go get somebody else. But don't pay nobody no, no $19 million to go away. $18 million, as if it matters at this point, when it's going to be 40 That's just dumb. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. I'm the host, RJ Young. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. Our assistant for literally everything in, uh, in between is Tyler Wojak, who's doing all sorts of work on the show. And our social media manager is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. Yeah, this is great. I'm having a good time. If you like it, let us know. Get at me on the Twitter. Everybody else does. Doses.